Good morning, BGC. It's good to, can I say see you? Somehow I am seeing you in our experience of virtual church. We're like seven or eight weeks into this now. Maybe, maybe not that many, six, probably six, at least six weeks. And this is not getting any easier for me to preach into a camera. But uh, I'm glad that we're able to gather this way. I'm glad that we're able to still maintain a sense of, of worship and engagement in our gospel community. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to continue where we left off last week. Last week, we were talking about the importance of staying connected through crisis. What does community and isolation look like? Today, we're going to kind of take a look at the same section of scripture that we looked at last week, but we're going to talk about care and what it looks like to be a caring community. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 again. So last week, we, we talked about what forms or what causes gospel community. And the answer we concluded as we looked at the scripture was, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that creates community where there is none. So that's, that's where we are today. We're going to be looking at this section of Scripture and, and really examining what it means to be a caring community, to care for one another. So let's look to the Scriptures, read it, pray, and then we'll get to work. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, hear the word of the Lord. And they, the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. That's the word of the Lord. Lord, we pray right now that you would write your word on our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, even in this, this environment that... that that we're in where I have to preach to a camera and then it goes to the church. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take your word, plant it deeply in our hearts and, and help us to be, Jesus, the people that you've called us to be. Help us to live confidently in you through crisis. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For the last four years, I have done something every night. Every night, I, I have this little pocket journal. It's a small little journal. And at the end of every night, I write down just a few words, a few sentences that capture the highlights of that particular day. And I've done it for four years, so I have a lot of, a lot of entries. And sometimes at the end of a year, what I'll do is I'll go back and read all 365 entries. 
And one of the things that I've been amazed at is how much I've forgotten over the course of the year and how just a word or a few words, a phrase, a sentence will really jog very vivid, stir up very vivid memories of the last year. This, the, the past 40 so days, um, I've started each night by saying COVID-19 day, I think last night was day 42, day 43, something like that. And then I capture some memory. And my, 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 my hope in that is that I'm, I'm just creating uh, a history of my life. And maybe even one day, my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandchildren will look through those journals and get an idea of the kind of life that I lived and, and have a, a sense or a picture of history and maybe even a sense of the marks that my life has left upon them. What will we be remembered for? That's a really good question to ask. What will you be remembered for? Do you ever think about that? We should think about that periodically while we still have something to, while we still have some time to do something about it. But as I've been thinking about COVID-19, I've been thinking about us as a church and asking the question, what will we be remembered for as a church? What will we be remembered for as people, as Christians? I wonder what history is gonna say about 2020, COVID and COVID-19. What if the thing most remembered about 2020 was the way that the church responded? What if our churches, what if Brandywine Grace, in the midst of crisis, became more famous for love, internally and externally. What will history record about our love for God, for one another, for the world? That's our vision statement, right? We always talk about what it means to live lives of love for God, for one another, for the world. What will history record about our love specifically through this unprecedented crisis? It's love. Love is the mark by which Jesus' followers, by which Christians are to be known by the world around us. We're to be marked by love. And one of the consistent truths about love is that love moves us towards people. You can't possibly be loving and move away from people. You can't possibly say, I love you, but then withdraw from you. Love always moves us towards people. One of the goals for Christians in this season of quarantine is to figure out, and I think we've been trying to do that, church, and I think there's evidences of God's grace with us, but we've got to keep trying to figure out how to move towards others in love, even when we can't be within six feet of them. That's the challenge that we're thinking about now. How do we move towards one another in love, even when we can't be within six feet? Feet of them. What marks, 
will we leave on our marriages, on our families, on our neighborhoods, on our communities, on our city, on our world? Will, church, we be remembered for our love? Will we be remembered for our care? And so what I want to talk about today, I want to look at the scripture and see what are the marks of a caring community? What are the marks of a loving community? What marks us? And I want, to, I want to organize things this way. I think it'll be an easy way for us to remember what God has for us and an easy way for you to, to follow the structure of this sermon. What are the marks of a caring community? This is how we'll answer it. This is who we are. This is what we do. And this is why we do it. So this is who we are. This is what we do. And this is why we do it. So we're answering who, what, why. Who, what, why. So let's start with this is who we are. I'm going to answer it real simply. We, we talked about this week. Who are we? We are a gospel community. What adjective could we use to describe the gospel community? We are a caring community. A caring community. Who are we? A caring community. A loving community. What do we do? Let's move from this is who we are to this is what we do. What do we do? Look at this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture gives us a summary description of what the Christian life looked like in the first Christian church. So this, there was no community. God saves people. Jesus saves people and uh, causes them, creates this beautiful sense of community, and then we have this picture of the things that they're doing together. The bulk of this text is one big description of the activity of the community. It's the things that they do. We're going to focus on a few things, but what do they have in common? What does it look like? What do they share? So what are the, what are the things that we do in a caring community? What are the things that we share? Well, one of the activities that we see as we look at this scripture is a shared devotion. A shared devotion. The first verb used to describe the community in verse 42 is, and they devoted themselves. There's, there's, this community is devoted. They're sharing this common theme of devotion. It comes from the Latin word devotus. They were devoted. They were committed. They were persisting with a purpose. Their lives made this statement. I'm all in. I'm, I'm in on this. You can count on me. I'm a committed member of the team. Christian community is shared devotion. Community has to include commitment. You can't just attend church on Sunday mornings and, and call that community. If you just attend, when we get back to meeting regularly in our church building, when we can't just call attendance on Sunday mornings community. If you just attend on Sunday mornings, you're just part of a crowd. If you just are attending meetings um, through YouTube or through Zoom, you're just part of a virtual crowd. You're not part of the community. That's why we call members here at this church partners. 
because it gets at this idea of a shared devotion, a shared commitment, uh, a declaration that we are all in on this. If the vision of the church is loving God, loving one another, loving the world, if the, if the mission of the church is reaching people with the gospel, building them up in the gospel, and then releasing with the gospel, what partners are saying in this church is, I'm all in on that. I see that in the scriptures. I want to be a part of, part of this. I'm on the team, and I am not content. I am discontent to sit on the sidelines. Put me in the game, coach. I'm ready to play. I'm all in on this. That's, that's what, the, that's what the, the writer Luke is getting at here. It's the shared devotion. What do we do? We share in our commitment. We share in devotion. My, my sons and my daughters, um, my, my youngest daughter, my, my oldest daughter is more of an artist, but my, my other three kids have played sports, been active in sports, and still play sports. My two sons are lacrosse players, and both of them have played the, the position of midi. It's midfield. And without even knowing anything about lacrosse, I'll tell you this. The midfielder is not a glorious position. It's, 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 the players in midfield cover the whole length of the field. They, they, they're not constrained to one section of the field like the offense is or the defense is. So in essence, they're offensive and defensive players. And they run, they run, they run. And, and their commitment to the team has to be a willingness to run. They have to be willing to do the dirty work. When the ball's on the ground, their job is to get it. They run through crowds. They, 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 they are, they're willing to dive. They just commit themselves to doing everything they can to get that ball and to move that ball towards the goal. It's not always a glorious position. They're not always, although they can score goals, they're not always the high goal scorers of the game. And I remember one particular time talking to uh, one of my sons and just thinking about how the question, how are you going to demonstrate your commitment to the team in this game how, or in this season? How are you going to demonstrate your devotion, that you're, gonna, that you're all in? And the phrase we came up with is, all ground balls are mine. That was the way he was going to play the game. Is every single ground ball, when the ball hits the ground, it's mine to get. That was the way he was going to demonstrate his devotion. Did he get all of them? No. But he was going to live in such a way that his commitment to the team was going to be demonstrated in his effort to get every single ground ball. What's, what's your commitment look like? What's your devotion to this community look like? Would people look at your life and say, they're all in? That's committed. Man, they're playing like every ground ball is, is theirs. They're committed. They're not sitting on the sidelines. Maybe you're new to Brandywine Grace. Maybe you've just been checking out Brandywine Grace. Maybe you've been just getting to know us virtually. And you're sitting there wondering, man, I don't want to be on the sidelines. I'd like to get more involved. How did I do that? Just get on the church's website, fill out the contact form, and, and that'll go to one of the pastors and just say, I'd like to get more involved in this church. How can I do that? We'd love to talk to you. If you've been coming to the church, you've got some friends in the church, ask them. If you've been attending a missional community 
Ask the missional community leader. Just say, I want to get more involved. I want to demonstrate. I want to be more committed. I'm all in on this. I want to know what I can do. Let them know. Ask them. Tell them. Community demands devotion. You can't just sit on the sidelines and do community. The gospel shapes our community and it shapes us and it makes us devoted people. So we have this shared devotion. What else do we have? Well, one of the things we, we could talk about their shared experiences, but I'm going to lump them all together. One of the things that we see here is they're experiencing life together and they're experiencing life together in both the ups of life and the downs of life. And we see that so clearly in this passage. They are, they are experiencing life together. We see it. They're, they're experiencing preaching. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to teaching. They're fellowshipping together. They're eating meals together. They're praying together. And then we see it in verses 46 and 47. They're attending church together. They're eating meals together. We see that again. They're receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. They're praising they're praising God. They're having favor with people. They're sharing their possessions with all those in need. So there's this shared experience. We, we use the language of life on life. We're doing life together. We're sharing life together. And life sometimes has these real high moments. And life undoubtedly, un, unequivocally has down moments. And we're sharing in those two. This is why I think it's so important that we are doing services together during COVID, during this season of isolation, this season of quarantine. We can't meet together physically, but one of the things that's been really interesting is that we're seeing, the pastors are seeing, the church is seeing, there's a gathering together, there's a desire to be a part of the community that is ours. You could listen to any Preacher, you want to. There's a lot of preachers doing this. Why, why participate in, in the service for Brandywine Grace? Why do a service for Brandywine Grace? Why not just direct us to some other services? Because this is our community. We're sharing life together. The local church is a visible expression of the people of God that you love, that you live with, that you serve with. You can't do that with a podcast. You can't do that in a virtual way. Our mission is to love God, love one another, love the world. And we do that together as a part of, as a, part of a community. We can't do that as individuals. And so we're sharing our lives together. And, and those lives, as we've already mentioned, include these moments of incredible joy, what we call the ups. We're sharing in the ups and downs of life. And I'm struck when I look at this passage of, of the amount of joy and happiness we see in this community. Verse 43, they're in all. It says, all came upon every soul. All. Another word used there, fear. It's actually the word, the Greek word there is phobia. Why, why would a phobia be coming upon them? In what sense was fear coming upon them. Fear shouldn't characterize a caring community, should it? Should fear be one of the marks of a caring community? What does the writer mean by this? What he means by this is it's the awe of seeing 
extraordinary things. It's, the, it's, it's participating in the gospel community with, with your life and, and with, such, with such a sharing of your life with others that when you see God work in their lives, it, there are moments where it fills you with such joy that it takes your breath away. I can't believe what God is doing. I can't believe what God has done. It's these things that just blow you away. That's the beauty of living in the Christian community. When we live and share our lives together and Jesus is at the center of our lives, we see him doing incredible things in people's lives and it, and it gives us joy. It fills us with awe. It, it, it causes us to be amazed. It's the joy and, and awe of our baptisms. Always one of the most powerful services we do is when we hear someone testify of, and, and declare their commitment to Jesus and to tell us how he's changed their lives and then they, they, they get baptized as an expression of their, their confidence in Him and their devotion to Him and their obedience to Him. And it takes our breath away. We're always crying when we watch baptisms. We're always filled with joy. It's the joy and awe of standing in the backyard of a couple standing on their, their deck and, and, and looking at them, a couple whose marriage has been wrecked by infidelity and adultery and listening to them renew their vows in the presence of the Holy Spirit and in the power of, of Christ and His forgiveness. It fills you with a sense of amazement. It's the joy of watching people humble themselves and confess their failures and their shortcomings and their sin in the context of community and, and then experience the help, the grace that comes from God when we confess to one another. I remember being part of a small group and, and we were, it was a group that was just getting started and we were just starting uh, getting to know one another. And, and you know, sometimes in groups you can ask a, a question, you start asking questions, and there's just like this, there's this awkward silence, and, and we're sharing, we're answering the questions, but it feels kind of sterile, because no one has really opened up their lives yet. No one's really let us into who they really are. I remember uh, starting this, it was like a discipleship group, and we were sitting there all together one night, and we were talking about something, we had our Bibles open, and we were talking about Jesus, which is what we should do in, in small groups, right? We should be get our Bibles open and be talking about Jesus. And on this particular night, uh, one man with tears in his eyes, just began to share how when he was in college, he had gotten his girlfriend pregnant and out of fear, they had concluded that the best thing that they could do was to have an abortion. And he was confessing in brokenness his participation in that. We're talking about the ups of life. That sounds like the downs of life. What we're talking about though is all. And there wasn't a person in that room that night 
that wasn't filled, humble, filled with a sense of the amazing work that God was doing in this man and had done in this man, cleansing him from his sin. And, and he was just openly sharing with us, confessing with us, putting it all out there. It was, a, it was like a holy moment in that group. And I can tell you from that moment forward, that group changed. That group was changed. They found that to be a place where they could come and just say, this is who I am. I need Jesus. And, and, and it became a place where we really enjoyed a lot of fellowship. It's the joy, the, the joy and the awe of watching God save a man and set him free from a drug addiction. It's watching people committed to following Christ. And, and it's this extraordinary thing. It's powerful. Church, isn't it powerful when you watch God doing a work in our lives? To take your breath away. But the writer does something, Luke does something amazing here. Because if you just tell all the, the, the heroic stories of how Jesus has changed our lives, how we've trusted in Him and His cross and, and His resurrection and, and His perfect life on our behalf and we've confessed our sins and He's saved us and now we're all just happy all the time. All it is is ups. There's no downs. No, that's not real. There are downs in the Christian life. It's not a utopian society. There's real joy mixed with real need. And that's why verse 45 is squeezed in there. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There were people who were hurting in this gospel community. Yes, they were experiencing joy, but there were also people experiencing need. We can't miss that. Real joy mixed with real troubles, real problems, real pain, all of it, all mixed together. That's who we are. Christian community is not a dream state. It's real. It's authentic. It's messy, broken people serving a Savior that loves them and has covered all their sins with his precious blood. That's who we are. That's the caring community, a shared devotion and sharing in the ups and downs of, of life. There's got to be church in, in our if we're going to be marked by love, if we're going to be known as a caring community that leaves their mark on this community, there's going to have to be sacrifice. There's going to be, have, there's going to be a willingness to embrace the pain, to join into someone else's pain, and to sacrifice that you might meet their needs. I was thinking of the Chronicles of Narnia when I thought about this and an illustration from the book Prince Caspian. And I'm just going to read a little excerpt to you. I, I love to read to people, and I love these stories, and I love powerful illustration, and I think this is one of them. The section we're going to look at is uh, a section of the story where the, the, um, they've been in battle, and Prince Caspian is like the, the, the lord of his country and he's been leading them in battle against all these monsters and these enemies and these beasts that have sought to destroy them and they've lost a number of their friends in battle but they've been in battle for their king King Aslan and there's some characters just to tell you who they are before I start to share the story there's Aslan he's the lion he's the king he's the he's the king of Narnia he's like think of him like Jesus 
There is Lucy in this section, and Lucy is a little girl who has this special little vial, a little container that Aslan gave her. He's anointed it, and she's able to take drops of it and, and place it on people that have been wounded and they're healed. And then there's Reepicheep, and Reepicheep is a mighty warrior. He's one, of the, he's one of the boldest, bravest, most courageous characters in the story, but he happens to be a little mouse. And then there's also a second mouse who makes an appearance. His name is Peepikeek. He's Reepicheep's close friend. And so they've just come back from battle, and Reepicheep has been wounded. They think that he's going to die. At that moment, a curious little procession was approaching, 11 mice six of whom who carried between them something on a litter made of branches, but the litter was no bigger than a large atlas. No one has ever seen mice more woebegone than these. They were plastered with mud, some with blood too, and their ears were down, and their whiskers drooped, and their tails were dragging in the grass. And their leader piped on his slender pipe a melancholy, sad tune. On the litter lay what seemed little better than a damp heap of fur, all that was left of Reepicheep. He was still breathing, but he was more dead than alive, gashed with innumerable wounds, one of his paws crushed, and where his tail had been, a banded stump. Now, Lucy, said Aslan, and Lucy had her diamond bottle out in a moment. Though only a drop was needed on each of Reepicheep's wounds, the wounds were so many that there was a long and anxious silence before she had finished. And then the master mouse sprang from the litter, and his hand went at once to his sword hilt, and with the other he twirled his whiskers and he bowed. Hail, Aslan, came his shrill voice. I have the honor. But then he suddenly stopped. The fact was that he still had no tail. Whether Lucy had forgotten it, or that her cordial, though it could heal wounds, could not make things grow again, Reepicheep became aware of his loss as he made his bow. Perhaps it altered something in his balance. He looked over his right shoulder, and failing to see his tail, he strained his neck further, till he had to turn his shoulders and his whole body Followed, but by that time his hind quarters had turned too, and they were out of sight. Then he strained his neck, looking over his shoulder again, with the same result. Only after he had turned completely round three times did he realize the dreadful truth. I am confounded, said Reepicheep to Aslan. I am completely out of countenance. I must crave your indulgence for appearing in this unseemly fashion. It becomes you very well, small one, said Aslan. Well, all the same, replied Reepicheep, if anything could be done, perhaps Her Majesty, and here he bowed to Lucy. What do you want with a tail? asked Aslan. Sir, said the mouse, I can eat and sleep and die for my king without one. But a tail is the honor and the glory of a mouse. I have sometimes wondered, friend, said Aslan, whether you do not think too much about your honor. Highest of all high kings, said Reepicheep, permit me to remind you that a very small size 
has been bestowed on us mice, and if we did not guard our dignity, some who weigh worth by inches would allow themselves very unsuitable pleasantries at our expense. That is why I have been at some pains to make it known that no one who does not wish to feel this sword as near his heart as I can reach shall talk in my presence about mouse traps or toasted cheese or candles. No, sir, not the tallest fool in Narnia. And here he glared up fiercely at Wimbleweather, the giant, who was always a stage behind everybody else, had he had not yet discovered what was being talked about down at his feet, and so he missed the point. Why have your followers all drawn, drawn their swords, may I ask? said Asim. May it please your high majesty, said the second mouse, whose name was Peepikeek. We are all waiting to cut off our own tails if our chief must go without his. We will not bear the shame of wearing an honor which is denied to the high king mouse. Oh, roared Aslan, you have conquered me. You have great hearts, not for the sake of your dignity, Reepicheek, but for the love that is between you and your people. You shall have your tail again. I love that story. I love it probably more than I can articulate. What's the point? It's love for one another that in the story, gets Aslan's attention. Our love for one another gets God's attention. Our love for one another gets the world's attention. A willingness to sacrifice my own comfort, my own dignity, if it meets meeting your needs, is something that a watching world can't undervalue sometimes can't believe, it causes them to watch with wonder and to say, what causes you to live this way? What causes you to sacrifice? What causes you to live with such joy and confidence in crisis? What causes you to give of yourselves? What causes you to, to sacrifice and to, to give generously of your money and your time? What causes you to live this way? dying world, a broken world, a world that's asking questions because of COVID, stands by and asks those questions of a caring community. We're sharing in the ups and downs of life together, church, and, and we have this opportunity to demonstrate one of the marks of a caring community is that we actually share our lives together. We share in the joys and we share in the pain. We share in the ups we share in the downs. We share in, the, in the, the laughter. We share in our tears. This is what it means to be a community. We're talking about who we are and then what we do. What do we do? We're committed to one another. What do we do? We share in the ups and downs of life. What do we do? We share in fellowship. We share with one another what God is doing in our lives. It says over and over again that they devoted themselves to teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to, 
to God's word. I hope it's always said of Brandywine Grace, whether we're here on a Sunday morning or gathered in a missional community, they got their Bibles open and they're talking about Jesus. Bibles open, talking about Jesus. Bibles open, talking about Jesus. Bibles open, talking about what Jesus is doing in my life. Bibles open, talking about what Jesus is doing in your life. Bibles open and talking about what Jesus wants to do in your life. This is what we do. We share fellowship. We need one another, especially in crisis. Hasn't this been revealed? Hasn't it been revealed that there's moments where you feel discouraged, you feel lonely, you need something that God provides for you through shared fellowship. You show up at a community, a virtual Zoom meeting, and someone opens up their Bible and talks about what Jesus is doing or shares a, a verse of scripture and encourages you with that. And you couldn't get there on your, your own. You were feeling down. You were feeling discouraged. But the Jesus in their heart helped the Jesus in your heart. Sometimes this is true. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the world of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Haven't you experienced that in, in what we do together? We share fellowship together and are there able to encourage one another. This is who we are, a caring community. This is what we do, share devotion, share in the ups and downs, share fellowship. Why? Why do we do it? For what purpose? Is the gospel community that's formed through Jesus and his cross and his resurrection is the end goal of that just our experience here in community? Does our community have a purpose? Has the gospel formed the community so that we can experience all of these things and that that is the end goal? Joyful people who share their lives together. But for what purpose, we must ask? For what purpose? Is there purpose? Why do we do it? Who, what, why? And it's right here in this text. Look at verse 47. It says, they're praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's, there's this purpose that exists for this incredible caring community, this loving community. As they love one another, something happens. God uses them to bring those who aren't part of the community into it. And, and, and just so we know that that's his intent, it says that day by day, people were being added. Who? Those who were being saved. God's going to use our caring community to leave an indelible mark on one another and, and this community. I just pulled out to record this sermon and we're just finishing another one of our outreaches just trying to meet the needs of the community by giving away free food and free household products to the people that are in need around Brandywine Grace, around the physical facility of the church. It's amazing. Do you think we're making an impact? Do you think we're making an indelible impression? Is our love affecting anyone besides ourselves? Church, yes, it is. I think we've made more of an impact in the last five or six weeks than we've probably made in the last five or six years. 
they will know you are Christians by your love. We have a mission, the Great Commission. We've come full circle. What is it that causes gospel? What is it that causes this Christian community? The gospel. What's the reason for this Christian community? The gospel. The spread of the gospel. What, what brought this community into being? The fame of Jesus, our Savior, our King. He formed us in the gospel community. For what purpose? That we might continue to spread his fame. He wants to use us. We have a purpose. We're together for something. By the power of the gospel, God has brought about a human community formation for the purpose of gospel movement. The gospel doesn't want to stay here. This is why our our mission is we want to reach people with the gospel. Then we want to build them up in the gospel. Why? So that we can release them with the gospel. So that Acts 2 verses 42 through 47 is actually taking place. A gospel movement. That's what we are. Acts was written to record the early progress of the gospel. Well, that gospel progressed and it's come all the way to us and it's still progressing. Why? Because the power of the gospel, the power of Lord Jesus is unstoppable. It moves on despite trial. It moves on despite persecution. Nothing is going to stop the gospel and its advance. Nothing's going to stop the forward movement of the good news. Nothing's going to thwart God and his purposes to save his people and then to, to build them up and to send them out into the, our neighborhoods, into this city and see its transformation to send us all the way to the nations. I was just hearing uh, Gary was just telling us, Gary, who was the missions pastor of the church, and he was just telling us how we've been able to take some of uh, the money that we had set aside for missions and specifically during COVID crisis, look at where missionaries are serving in difficult places where COVID has, has, has wreaked more havoc and caused more suffering than it has here in America. And so these missionaries that are suffering but eager to keep on spreading the good news of Jesus, we've been able to sow into their ministries and give to them to meet their needs so that they can turn and meet the, the needs of the lost and the unreached. It's amazing. You know, just uh, we'll put this on, we'll get this out on social media, but Gary is actually going to be part of a, of a podcast that Sojourn Network is doing or a webinar where they're just uh, talking to uh, missions pastors about how to live our lives in such a way that we actually impact the nations that we live as global Christians. So that's just a that's just a real something that's really exciting for me that the, the network would have reached out to Gary. They haven't reached out to any of us yet to participate in webinars, but they have reached out uh, to Gary. Actually, Dave I think is going to be on a webinar as well. So I'm still waiting for my call. Uh, but we're talking about mission, the mission of our community, to make sure that we tell the story of Jesus, to live the story of Jesus. We can't sequester ourselves. We can't cloister ourselves. If COVID's teaching us nothing less than that, it's that we can't live lives in isolation. We don't want to live in isolation. We want to live in community with one another, but we want that community to grow. We want lost people to come to Jesus. That's the, that's the why of this gospel community. I heard a pastor say, the church 
at her best gives the world a tangible encounter of what it feels like to be loved by Jesus. What does it feel like to be loved by Jesus? God is using the caring community of Brandywine Grace to help people to visualize, to help people to, to have a tangible encounter of what it looks like and what it feels like to be loved by Jesus. That's a caring community. I wonder what history will say about us. What will, what will the community of Downingtown say when all is said and done? Will we be noted for our care? Will, will we leave the indelible impression of the love of Jesus with others? Are we doing that right now? We have this opportunity. Yes, we're isolated. Yes, we're, we're, we're asking the question, how in the world do we, do we experience community with one another while maintaining six feet in isolation? That's the question that must be asked. We've got to ask ourselves, if this is what Christian community looks like, this is who we are, caring community, this is what we do, these are the activities of the caring community, and this is why we do it. We want Jesus to, to take our expressions of very real community and make an impression on one another and on our neighborhoods and this city. What will you write in your journal tonight? What will be included in that little, in a few sentences? Will there be anything written about how you tried to live your life as part of a caring community? Will there be anything written about how you were committed to something? You were committed to the vision of Jesus and committed to sharing your life with others. Or maybe you could think of it this way. Whose life will you leave an impression on? And what impression will you leave? Is it an impression of love and care? That's what's before us. I pray that God would help us to be the caring community that he has formed us and caused us to be for the glory and fame of our great King, Jesus. Amen. Grace and peace. Love you guys. Think you're doing these things. Keep on going. For the King.